The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. In the next hour, you'll hear from some phenomenal people and healthcare leaders and learn how their challenges became opportunities. Our goal is to show you how you can positively influence your own life experience and purpose and achieve success. And now, here is your host, Danielle Delaney. Everyone, welcome to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney, and I am your host, Danielle Delaney. Today, I have as a guest, I have two guests, but the first guest is Natasha Alexenko. Natasha is the founder and CEO of Natasha's Justice Project in JP, which is a national nonprofit organization established February 4th, 2011 to expose and to eliminate the nationwide rape kit backlog, which is a cause close to my heart, and also to bring justice to survivors of sexual assault. Natasha has been referenced in Forbes magazine, Newsday, New York Post, the New York Times, Time magazine, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, also the Washington Times in D.C., um, Associated Press articles worldwide, and L'Express in France. She has also written a column for the Daily Beast, and her story was the focus of a critically acclaimed Lisa Jackson-directed HBO documentary called Sex Crimes Unit, which initially aired June 20th, 2011, and gained one million viewers. Natasha also partners, as do I, with national organizations, including the Joyful Heart Foundation, who serve as her mentors. So welcome, Natasha. I'm thrilled to have you here today. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's an honor. It truly is. And it's just such a cause close to my, art, to my heart to end the backlog and, and get justice for those of us that have been raped and look for, for just a, a life raft as we go through the recovery process and then also reaching for justice at the same time. I just right now I want to issue a trigger warning because I like to do that. I work as a crisis counselor with rape victims and molestation survivors as well. And if anything is triggering um, or if you have a problem with triggers, con- conversations about rape or sexual assault, um, you might want to not listen today. But it, it's going to be educational, so I hope you do. But I like to issue a trigger warning. So that's about it for that. Um, Natasha, I want to talk about our own personal stories a little bit of what happened to each of us. I know we've talked personally about it, but could you tell yeah. the world and the listeners who are worldwide... <laughs> a little bit more about what happened to you, because I know, and I've lived through something similar, but I'd love to hear your story again. Yeah, absolutely, and um, yeah, thanks for issuing that just kind of a warning, because I do, um, I am personally, I made the decision to be open about my sexual assault, and that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean everyone who's been assaulted has to follow suit. It's my own opinion, Um, but certainly I like to talk about it methodically and plainly uh, for your listeners out there to to understand Mm -hmm. um, how difficult it is. Um, I was raped, robbed, and sodomized at gunpoint uh, while I was a student going to college in New York City. Um, To say that changed my life forever is 
just a huge understatement. Mm-hmm. And something I'm learning even today is that it not only affected me, and I know you understand what I'm talking about, it affected everybody around me. My, mm-hmm. my um, mother, my family, my friends. It continues to affect, you know, my boyfriend and his family. It, it is something like there's, it victimizes so many. I yeah, may it's have a ripple been, effect. Really right? A ripple effect. Mm-hmm. It, you know, and I may have been the initial, like the victim of it, but it really affected so many people. Mm-hmm. And um, so after I was raped, you know, of course, the first thing you want to do is take a really hot shower. Um, well, but can you go roommate, back a little bit and tell what happened? Like exactly what was going on? You were walking home or oh, sure. kind of invite no. the listeners to know your experience? Yeah, absolutely. So while I was going to college, I was a, a, a student and, and I was working at a veterinary hospital and had a, you know, I, I always say this, I was wearing scrubs, not that it matters what I was wearing right, for right. some reason. It's always like, but I was wearing scrubs, yeah, I guess. Part of your memory, matter. exactly. Yeah. Um, and um, I... I Walked down my street like I always did. And, you know, I had lived in New York City for about seven months at that time, lived in Manhattan, lived in what I thought was a great neighborhood, which is, again, that's another kind of misconception. Right, oh, it right. only happens in bad neighborhoods. Not true. Mm-mm, happens not everywhere. Does not discriminate. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it, it just happened so quickly for me. I was just walking, and the next thing I knew, there was someone there. It was almost like he just materialized. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, he was there. Don't remember how, but the next thing I knew, he pushed me into basically like the little vestibule area and had a gun in my head and said, everything will be okay if you do exactly what I say. And... I think I kind of whimpered, and the thing I remember about my assault the most is the handgun. Um, it was a 9-millimeter semi-automatic, and at that time, he opened up a chamber so that I could see the bullet. Mm. Um, because it did, like, I had never seen, like, why would I ever have seen a 9-millimeter right. semi-automatic in, in real life? Like, I would hope, I would, no one ever would have to see right. one. And so I, it looked to me like a fake gun until he showed me that bullet, and I'm like, mm. oh, my gosh. Mm. Okay. real. Right. How I just want to make sure I don't die. I just right. don't want to die. Right. You know, you start to think about your family and you mm-hmm. start to think about everything. So he led me up to um, the roof of our uh, my apartment building, which was actually locked. So whereas we couldn't go on the actual roof, it was like a little landing that mm-hmm. re- led up to the rooftop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was in a state of disbelief. So even though he asked me to take off all my clothes and he started, you know, taking my jewelry, taking money out of my pockets, I thought he was just robbing me. Like, here I am standing Mm -hmm. completely naked in front of a stranger with a gun, Mm -hmm. and in my head I'm like, oh, I'm not getting raped. Like, to this day I still kind of grapple with, like, why why did you, like, what else was going to happen? Well, Um, it's because your (laughs) mind has no, it, it doesn't have a frame of reference for that. It just doesn't have it. So you don't go there because it's a new experience. That's a really interesting way of putting it, and you're right. Wow. Yeah. I mean, um, clearly you just have so much, um, you have so much background on how our brains work in this issue, mm-hmm. so that's probably exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really wasn't until he, he, you know, he was bending me over the railing, um, raping me, that I was like, this is, is happening. Um, and at mm-hmm. that point, you know, your brain just kind of goes into survival mode, and I was like, okay, 
you do, like, I just wanted to make sure I did everything I could so that I didn't end up naked, shot in the head, and bleeding out dead Mm -hmm. for everyone Mm -hmm. to find. So, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and, you know, the whole ordeal was probably about 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. It felt like an eternity. There are moments where I still feel like it's still happening. Like, that's yeah, how intense yeah. that is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thinking I'm going to die, being really embarrassed, horrified, mortified, every word I can think of, um, it's something I just still carry with me to this day. Always, yeah. You know, always, right? You know. Mm-hmm. Um and, and, you know, I'm at a conference here in D.C., and I, I just got up and spoke. And, you know, I was telling everyone, like, I drove here so I could listen to radio online. Yay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was like, yes, I get to listen and catch mm-hmm. up on my listening. And, you know, I, I can't drive over bridges anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, I was kind of going through my head and say, why do I have a problem driving over bridges? Well, while he had me, like, bent over the railing, I was right. looking down the staircase, and it was like this circular kind of thing, so it looked like it went on infinitely mm-hmm. forever. And so I know that my brain is unable to, you know, differentiate between, okay, your life is in danger as you're leaning over, looking down, and you're on a bridge in a car. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> the, it's the same thing. It's the view it's, from above, and it's scary, and it takes you back. So yeah. it makes sense. It actually makes a lot of sense that you'd connect that. I'm just so sorry that that happened to you. People forget to say that, and I don't mm-hmm. want to forget to say how sorry I am that that happened to you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, you know, it's it's it's... It's like every other sexual assault. I think that when people acknowledge that it's happened to us, whether it was like mine at gunpoint, whether it's by an acquaintance or a, your spouse, I mean, the most important thing is to be believed. And here's one thing I, yes. I, I got from the conference that I found so fascinating was uh, after I spoke and I shared my story and I shared, you know, my journey, which is where I am now as an advocate, mm-hmm. um, I'm just so honored I was um, I was with uh, Dr. Rebecca Campbell, who is really the expert in terms of the biology of the brain mm-hmm. during a sexual assault and like what actually what what's firing, what is what hormones are coming through. And what I found so interesting was she said, you know, obviously the hormones come through because your your brain is telling your body, you are about to die. Right. So here's what I'm going to give you to make sure you live through this. And what the brain can't tell the difference between, and it seems like we only do this in law enforcement, mm-hmm. is whether it's a stranger rape or an acquaintance rape. So in other words, your brain goes through the exact same process, exactly. whether you're being raped at gunpoint, whether you're drunk and, you know, and, and someone's taking advantage of that and sexually assaulting you, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Your brain is responding in the same way. You're going to die. I'm going to throw these hormones at you so that to ensure that the organism, <laughs> your body lives mm-hmm. through this and, you know, um, but I, it's interesting because of course I've always known that 
it's the same thing, but mm-hmm. to know that we have a science. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> a scientist saying, no, 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 the brain, it's the same. No, she's <laughs> so tremendous. Stop treating it like it's amazing. a different thing. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not. And it's, it's very true that we go into fight or flight or freeze, and all of those responses right. are completely acceptable. And I like to tell my clients who are survivors of rape or molestation or any violent crime, I work with a lot of victims of violent crime and worked with the sexual assault response team with the police and the forensic nurses for years. And I always tell them that you did everything right to survive. It doesn't matter what you said or didn't say or did or didn't do. Whatever you did to get through that moment, because it's so isolating. You know, you're alone. No one else can experience it with you. It's isolating for the rest of your life that you experienced this and that not everyone will understand it in their lifetime. They just may not. And if they're lucky, you know, if they're lucky. But you did everything right to survive. And as did I, and I'll share my story in a moment as well, but yeah. I wanted to go back to, um, to, you were talking about the shower. You wanted a hot shower immediately mm-hmm. after. So that kind of speaks to my work with forensic nurses and what we go through with the rape kits and that it's a long process. It's not quick no. and it's a lot to handle. So what were you saying there about uh, your first instinct was to take a hot shower? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I of course, wanted to just move on with my life and forget about it. And mm-hmm. also, I'd like, you know, before I kind of move on with the rest, I just want, you know, everyone needs to know this is my personal experience. And, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't, there's no one or right or wrong way no, to kind of handle the aftermath. You're right. <laughs> but You're right. Um, in my case, that's what I wanted to do. Um, and my roommate was like, we got to get you to get a rape kit done. You've right. got to get this rape kit done. Okay, you, you know, and you you can't even you can't even use the restroom. I mean, you have to keep that evidence right. You have on. to hold it in. Yeah, it's awful right. being Your taken to the police station. The it's awful. You want to pee and you cannot How pee. How crazy so there's is that? that? Right, but you have to do that. And crime scene. you know, while we say there's not a right or a wrong way to respond, which is absolutely the truth, and I stand by that. I encourage anyone who goes through this, or who knows someone who's reporting to them, I've just been raped. Do not take a shower. Do, do yes. preserve the evidence that you can. Don't pee or take a shower. I should say urinate to be proper, but uh, <laughs> don't do don't do anything other than get to uh, to a forensic nurse, get to the police station, get to a hospital. Really, you want to go to a hospital first, um, and you can call nine one one and have them come and get you. So that's right. important. That we know, we know there's no right or wrong reaction, uh, but. I'm trying to catch all the rapists I can here with, some of, right. with both of our work. So that's what right. we do want to stress. Okay, so then what did you do? So what happened? So, you know, and again, the most important thing, and I'm, I'm so glad that I did this because as I went through my recovery, it became a thing of, oh, my gosh, I don't want anyone to ever be hurt by this man again, mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm so glad I did the rape kit. And you're right, it was a four- to five-hour process. It's mm-hmm. very invasive. Very invasive. Um, you know, um, again, the last thing you want, right, is to be poked and prodded again. Exactly, exactly. And naked again and, and vulnerable again. And photographed and, from all angles. It's horrible. It's very right. difficult. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. And especially the recollection process because now the victim has to go over everything that's happened. Mm-hmm. And for some of us, that's really, it's not only emotionally hard, but it's hard to recall. Exactly. Exactly. And, as, and as, as difficult as the rape kit process was, I kept thinking to myself, and I want listeners to think this, if anything were to happen, God forbid, to them, remember that this is the process of preserving DNA and preserving evidence. So it is important, although it's long, although it's invasive, although it's difficult, if you can do it, if you can report, and if you can do a rape kit, it's one of the bravest things you can do, and you're saving 
other people from this person out there, and you're also preserving the DNA and evidence for your case so that you can get justice. So it is important to try to push through and do it. Yeah, I just got goosebumps when you said that because, yeah, you are. I mean, that that's the whole thing. When you report your rape, mm-hmm. you you have an opportunity to make certain that this doesn't happen again because typically these people that do this, again, it, just because it's a gunpoint rape, I mean, we, we know through studies that they always escalate and may start with someone uh-huh. they know and then move on. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing you can do mm-hmm. is to make certain this person doesn't hurt anyone. And it is amazing. The best thing, I don't know if you agree with me or not, the best thing that I've done to heal is to help others. Like that's Absolutely. the greatest way I found to heal. It doesn't feel like that right away, but no, now I know. <laughs> I hear you. At first it does not. And when I started working with these speak out events at, at universities, speaking about my rape, working with the sexual assault crisis uh, response team and going to this academy to learn how to treat survivors of sexual assault and going with the police to the victim and holding their hand during the rape kit, which I didn't have at the time. And I thought, what a great thing to have, someone to walk you through it. I realized how powerful that is. And my family was concerned. They thought, is this going to trigger you every time you go at three in the morning with the police to a rape victim and go through the rape kit with them? And I thought, actually, no, because I'm there with them and the worst moment of their life and making it better. So that helps. And then there's the ones that we've caught, which we have not caught mine, and there were multiple ones. So um, none of them are, are apprehended. They're free, as far as I know. And it's, it's a painful thing to realize, but every single one that we could get, it really helped. And being there for myself, being a fresh set of eyes with the forensic nurse, sometimes she would say, oh, they showered, or they don't have any of their undergarments with them, so this is going to be a tough one. We don't have DNA. And I would remind her, check behind her ear and her neck because rapists do not um, just lean away from me. People forget that there's conversation during a rape, there's laughing or talking, there's you know, abuse during a rape, and also sometimes they think of it as, a, as, as something other than the violent act that it is, and they may kiss or touch your neck or, or ear, and that's where we found saliva, and saliva has more DNA in it than sperm. So I was able to help a forensic um, nurse remember that because she does so many a day, unfortunately, that they become a little bit deadened to some of it, and their knowledge wasn't as fresh as mine being a new student to it, coming to it with a beginner's eyes and a beginner's mind. So I was able to get that one, and it was a 17-year-old girl, and we got that guy, and it was amazing, and it just, thank you, it was so exciting, and it made me want to do more of that work, which then led to my work with um, molestation, adult molested as children, my court advocacy, and then working with um, addiction and recovery, which I do a lot of now, and life transitions, and all of it, because it's such a feeling of satisfaction to help someone on that worst day of their life. So you're right, I think helping others and your organization and the things that I do as well, it's just, it's taking your power back. It really is, and it's a great feeling. Oh, yeah, and I mean, I've met the most amazing people through just this advocacy work, mm-hmm. you included. I mean, oh, it's amazing. You. You're like, you you may as well have been my friend my whole life. I feel like our conversations have just been awesome. I'm always looking forward to talking to you on the phone. Thank and you. Because once you start this work, oh, no, thank you. I feel like you just... 
open your world to uh, the potential to meet these amazing, genuine human beings um, that can really uh, just bring so much happiness and, and, and laughter, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Really. I mean, it's, it's like we need to find the joy again. And I remember when it first happened, going to support groups. And, and my story, I'll tell it briefly. I don't know who's heard me before or who's a new listener tuning in. I was kidnapped from a friend's birthday party in a limousine. And um, there have been stories that have circulated that are incorrect. I don't know how that happened. But it was actually in a place in Hollywood. It was not a private home or a mansion of any kind. It was um, it wasn't an organized party in that way. It was a party at a club. My, my friend was a burlesque performer, and it was sponsored by energy drinks, and there was a lot of paparazzi. It was a red carpet event. So um, it was here in Hollywood, in the, uh, on Gower, actually, where I can see it. And uh, I can actually see it from where I live. And it's, um, it's one of those things that I don't know if it was a hate crime. I don't know if it was racially motivated. I don't know. But it was in my old life as an, as an actor and model. And this is over, de- over a decade ago. This was in 05, 2005, November. 17th, to be exact, and, um, and they took me from that party. I was taken, and I was abducted, basically, in the wrong limousine, and, uh, and held for hours against my will, and raped multiple times by the men in this car that were speaking a foreign language, and I, I didn't want to get to a second location. I begged for my life, and, um, and I remember that their culture doesn't really respect women, and I started saying I had a son, which is a lie. I don't have any children, but that, that fight thing kicked, kicked in. And I fought, I scratched, I did everything. They threw my shoes out the window. They had my purse. There was later identity theft we didn't know about because we, I was in the hospital having been beaten almost to death. I was unrecognizable. So it was one of those things, but I begged for my life. It was one of those horrible things, I should say. And, um, and they threw me from the moving car. So I had multiple injuries, brain injury, knees, back. I, I was unconscious. So um, it was something that I had to recuperate from physically and mentally. And when I started going to support groups for it a decade ago, a few of the women in my support group were institutionalized. And I thought, I can't have them destroy everything in me. And, um, and it just, I had a will to live and to survive, but not all the time. I started off self-medicating and going through a depression and being given antidepressants by psychiatrists and saying, uh, no, shouldn't I be depressed? And I wouldn't take them after a while. I was like, this is ridiculous. I should be depressed. Um, I really identified with that movie, The Brave One, with Jodie Foster, mm-hmm. uh, after a violent attack, and she's walking the streets and sort of a vigilante. I did a bit of that looking for them myself, which my police officers and detectives would say, can you leave your case alone? And I'd say, it's my case. Can't I do it my way? I mean, I was trying to get some kind Aww. of power back, right? And it's, it's, it's refreshing when I talk to you as well, Natasha, because we laugh about some of these things. You know, you say it's been a particularly rapey day. This happened. That happened. <laughs> we don't mean it in the way that someone who hasn't been the, that, through the experience could say it, and it's insensitive. We mean it. We really mean it when it's a day that you've been triggered just by... Um, you know, someone's eyes kind of boring through you or by mm-hmm. seeing or hearing just too many rapey things in one day, which I get sometimes being a counselor yeah. with crisis and intervention. And it's, um, it's, it's refreshing when we can kind of have some levity about not what happened, but about our healing process, which some of it, honestly, I didn't know I was kicking and punching in my sheets until my mother told me I was fighting all the time. And some of the healing process, just dealing with disability, dealing with welfare, when I realized they'd cleaned out my accounts, I had fraud. Um, I went from having everything to having nothing and then back now to having what I feel is everything, work that I love and clients that I love and, and just a future. So, um, everything's turned around and come full circle. I'll I'll never be one to say I'm grateful for it, ever. I just won't do that. So 
I can say that without this experience that I've incorporated into who I am, that I don't think that I would have the knowledge I have on top of book knowledge about what it is to live through trauma. And I feel the same way about your experience. I think it has colored your life, but you've been such a survivor and such a spokesperson and advocate that it's amazing. And I'm just always fascinated by you. Oh, and and likewise, I just, um, and I think this goes with anything in life, right? Like, first of all, you can't fake being a good person. You can't fake passion or a sense of being genuine, right? And um, and and being drawn into this work, um, you just get to meet great people. And I, I, you know, one thing I really like that you say is that, oh, I'm glad it happened. You're right. Because when I look at you, I think you were probably kick-ass strong before this. So oh, it's not a matter you. of this thing made you kick-ass strong. You were that way before you were just able to stay who you were through it. Right, and not, and not from the beginning. I know I had to bring my A game at some point because I realized it is sink or swim, and that um, the alternative the alternative is drowning, and I didn't want that. So I kind of had to start all over again, and I literally was swimming to heal my legs and knees and back and doing a lot of physical therapy. And, you know, people who see me now just think, oh, she's okay, and I am. I'm more than okay. I'm beyond okay. I'm excellent. But during my recovery, trust me, you know, there were really, really dark periods of time, and I looked to my mother. I looked to my siblings, my father, my therapist, Dr. Minton. I had specialists in PTSD and rape trauma syndrome, and a lot of people don't realize, just for those of you out there that don't know, there is um, non-combat PTSD. You've been at war in a different way. So PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder and, um, and syndrome, and then there's also rape trauma syndrome, which is separate from PTSD, and a lot of therapists don't know about it because they only did a certain amount of study in this area. And rape trauma syndrome is cyclical, and it can be triggered such as at the anniversary date, like I said, November 17th, which I've coined the term myself, rapeversary, and I tend to handle it how I want to handle it, whether I want to celebrate my life that day or go inward and, um, and really feel what happened again. And it, it changes every year over a decade. It's changed. And I had a second assault 19 months later. So I want people to also hear that. You and I talked about this yesterday, right? Uh-huh. That it's common. You know, that it's fairly common for more than one incident to happen to someone. The statistics have now risen for you. So it's, it's really, it really doesn't mean that you're a marked person or that you're drawing this to you. I want to dispel any of that nonsense about people attracting violent crime or rape or, or trauma. It doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way. So um, you did nothing yeah, wrong. Yeah, you know, it's, it, and it's one of those things that you're mm-hmm. like, I don't need to address that because surely people are, enti- you know, but you do. And, 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 you, and you're right. People I mean, say the most Ignorant things. I used to have a list that we would write in, uh, in support groups, and I still have people do it when I run support groups, of how many ridiculous things did you hear this week? Because people <laughs> say things like, oh, I'm sure the second time you'll get over it faster. It's like, oh, yeah, that second rape goes down much easier. Yeah, right. You know, Can you if just imagine, like, sensitive things. <laughs> Who has the nerve to say stuff like that? Like, isn't it like, remarkable? Would, it's remarkable, but we decided it, when, in a group I was in, I said, let's, let's make a list of these things so we can at least, you know, find some humor in people's ignorance rather than taking it personally because they're doing the best as they see it. People don't know what to do. They don't know how to respond. And we're going to come back and talk about that in about a minute. Um, Natasha, I'm going to come right back and talk more with you about rape crisis and survival and your story of advocacy. We will be right back.
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's not easy being a man in the world today. You see good qualities of the men of yesterday that now seem lost. And you also see a lot about traditional manhood that's clearly failing us. We are leading a movement, inspiring thousands of men to step into their true power, both through coaching and personal example. Having redefined my own masculine identity into a powerful transformative force, I, Destin Garrick, am committed to inspiring you to do the same. Listen for The Evolved Masculine, redefining sex, power, and success. Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Do you feel alone trying to conquer life's challenges? Do you feel that there's sometimes nowhere to turn and nobody really understands? Remember, you are not alone. Every week, host April Joy Ford, who has faced adversity as a constant in her life, helps you rise above life's challenges with your own blueprint meant to discover the powerful you. April's challenges have included childhood sexual abuse, becoming a widow and single parent at 32, and other such curveballs. She'll help you get empowered holistically every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. If you'd like to connect with Danielle, feel free to send an email to therealdealwithdanielle at gmail.com. That's therealdealwithdanielle at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We're back talking with Natasha Alexenko, the founder of Natasha's Justice Project, who also works with the Joyful Heart Organization, as do I, the Joyful Heart Foundation, I should say. Um, Natasha, we were talking about um, how, how I had a running list of ridiculous things that people would say, and <laughs> we've managed to talk about that sometimes, and I, I lead support groups about all kinds of trauma and crisis and addiction and recovery and, uh, you know, just healing from different life, life transitions, and I find that it helps everyone to have a little bit of understanding as well for our family. Like you said, the whole family system is affected and our friends and everyone. So I want to talk a little bit more about that. And then I want to talk about your organizations and how you got involved with your advocacy. So what was your experience with family? Mine was, uh, mine was difficult because they didn't know what to say. And it's hard at that time to grasp that everyone's doing their best as they see it. And I had one sister, both sisters actually didn't make any missteps, but both of my parents at some point actually said something that I'd have to say, are you kidding me with this? But then they, then they later became my biggest advocates and my biggest cheerleaders, and they're so proud and wonderful to me and supported me, my mother, financially in every way. Um, she did it entirely on her own to get me through um, all of the fraud that I added insult to injury. They were also robbing me, as you went through, too. So what was your family like afterwards? I mean, I know we worry about traumatizing them, but what, what did they say and do? What was that like for you? Well, so very similar, right? Because I, I think that, like, the best, like, horrifying quotes come from my mom, <laughs> right? So, like, the worst of the, in, like, things are, like, why did you say that? But she is my biggest fan because, right, there's no textbook on 
What do you say? Yeah, how do you re- say to how- your raped child? There's just not, mm-hmm. not really any kind of literature on that. And we do that, actually, as advocates for the sexual assault response team. Not only do we hold their hand through the rape kit, but part of it is educating the family on what not to say. Don't say we're going to get them. Don't, don't, don't exhibit violence about it. And don't make promises. And allow them to react to how they need to react, the, the survivor. So, yeah, the, we took part of that, too. But what, what was your mom saying? What did you go through there? Oh, I mean, you know, she, you know, I, I, I'm almost too embarrassed to repeat it. So, but she would like, any, if she told my cousins, my male cousins, they would say, oh, I'm going to find him and I'm going to, you know, chop his thing off. You know, like they exactly. would just say, right. And you're like, I know where you're coming from. You're angry and you're being protective of me. That part feels good. That part feels like, you know, you're on my side. You believe me. But, mm-hmm. yeah, like, why don't we just, like, take it away from that guy and, like, work on me. Like, just well, watch, exactly. like, How let's hang out. Right with, here. Like, right here. Be normal. Okay. Be normal with me because that makes me feel better. Like, yeah. you, like, right, because I don't, I didn't want my family, like, I didn't want this to be a burden that I was adding to them. So me thinking that my cousin was so angry that he wanted to find this guy and chop his, you know, what off, mm-hmm. I mean, that made me sad. I'm like, I don't want you to feel that way. That's not who you right. are. And we don't want to make <laughs> violence for the violence. We've already been through the most violent right. thing. People, like I said, people forget that rapists are not silent while they're doing this. And they're also smacking you around or being violent in other ways or saying vile things or something. There's a lot that goes with it. It's not a silent act and it's not a quick act. So it, it's... I, I was held for hours both times. And also they're saying or doing something. So you can be triggered also by that angry response in a family member or a loved one. And, um, and for me, it was some embarrassment meant, meant uh, from my mom's side. She felt like, can I tell some of our relatives this? I haven't told them. And I'm going, they're therapists. By all means, tell them. I need to talk to my Uncle Ernie. Yeah, my mom was to Aunt Connie. I need to talk like, to them. Why, like, right, because then that, I think she was like, we don't want to tell anyone. Like, yeah, we were protective. keeping it. This- they're being protective. But right. it's not what you need. You need it to be, I, I can scream this from the rooftops because there is no shame in being a survivor or victim, however you want to word it, of a violent crime. I use the terms interchangeably, victim and survivor. I'm not particular about it, but some people are. And, um, and yeah, we're, we don't care. So we're here and we're just glad for that. But it's, it's one of those things I had to explain, hey, even the second situation that happened that was a drug-assisted rape, which is when someone drugs the victim. So you're really, like you're paralyzed. It's unfortunately being raped. way too common. Oh, way too oh. common, way too common. And, um, and I work with drug-assisted rape survivors as well. And I remember it being like, well, what were you doing there? And what was this other girl doing there? Drug-assisted rapists often will get like a whole sorority house or multiple victims because they've drugged three drinks or, you know, what have you. And the person who was with me had sort of a reputation. And I thought, well, I liked her. She was another model I knew and worked with. I didn't think anything of it. I don't judge people based on hearsay. But, um, but she was raped as well. So I felt like, okay, don't say it happened because I was with her. I have a perfectly spotless reputation and record, but still it was, well, that's your witness. Even the DA said that. So it was our word against this person who drugged us. And it was, you know, it's just impossible to try some of these cases. And it's very painful to be feel re-victimized by people around you saying the wrong oh, thing. Oh, completely. I, I can't, can't help imagine. it. They don't know what to say. They don't know better. They don't know no. better. And, and that's the thing. You kind of, you almost have to, and you don't have to, but it's almost like you have to, uh, you know, be like ready for people mm-hmm. just 
saying inevitably the absolute wrongest thing they right. can Right. I mean, say. it's stupid, but they really don't know what they're doing. They don't, they, yeah. they don't know. So they but can't. But what, they, what, what they're not they understanding is, like, people who do this kind of crime, they're cunning, right? So mm-hmm. I always say this. Uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm fortunate in the sense that it was a gun. I, I, do, I don't mean this in that way, but I'm fortunate because it's like no, no one's like, everyone's like, okay, it was a gun. She can do anything. But rapists use everything as a weapon. Just because in my case it was a gun doesn't mean drug-assisted sexual assault. Drug is, oh, yeah. A drug is a weapon. And or words can be the weapon. I had a client whose words were the weapon. He said, I will rape your child and your sister in the other room if you don't do what I say. So these are weapons. Are the like, they're it's not, a weapon. You know, these are still the weapons they use. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just, it's, it's fascinating to see people say the remarkably wrong remarks, but it's also remarkable when people manage to be supportive and where you least expected it. So, uh, I know. Tell me a little bit more about your advocacy. Feel, <laughs> tell me more about how you I feel you like it. telling you the worst thing I've ever heard. Like, oh, yeah. Go right ahead. I'd love to hear it. And then I'm like, it. but you know what? Like, I don't get to celebrate enough the amazing things people say to me, like, like seeing this, like, huge you know, burly cop that looked like he'd just been through, you know, the pits of hell. And I told my story and I shared how grateful I was for everyone that worked a lot of my crime. And he just, like, starts bawling. Like, he Aww. just, like, leans over and starts crying. And, like, I just can't even see a man, like, a man like that cry. Of course, I started crying. Of course. It was just such a moment because I'm like, you know what? Like, you're this, talk about misconceptions of, taking people, right, if, if we're saying just because I'm this way or was wearing this, like, I, I should have known, why wouldn't that guy be sensitive? Exactly. <laughs> why I mean, wouldn't a big, like, burly guy be sensitive? Don't judge a book by its cover, but that's such a sweet story because sometimes support comes in the most unexpected form. It really can, and that's another thing that, you know, we're, we're in a club we never, we never wanted to join. We right. didn't want to be members of this club, yeah. but those of us that are, we've seen something and felt something and and endured something that many people never will in their lifetime. And I look at it that way, that we're kind of kindred spirits. And when I meet mm-hmm. other victims of violent crime and survivors of specifically rape and molestation and sex crimes and special victims that I work with, it's a certain bond. And so although we didn't want to be in this club, we are. And it is special and unique. And, and it, it, holds, it holds its privileges that we understand one another. So I yeah, like and I'm so grateful well. for that. And, and you know, and I, I, I have to mention Joyful Heart now because you Thank know you. We, we talked about them earlier, and and you know they were really there for me when I said, "Gosh, I'm going to start my own organization. Um, I don't know what I'm doing, but I cannot be the only person who has their rape kit tested and then finds a guy that did it." Like, you know, talk about uh, the backlog a little bit because some people don't know what the, ra- the this nationwide rape kit backlog is about. And they can go to endthebacklog.org for that or joyfulheartfoundation.org. And what else is your, your foundation, Natasha's Justice Project? Yeah, NatashasJusticeProject.org, and you can find us uh, on andthebacklog.org. Um, they've been kind enough to put a link to our website from there, so very grateful Great. to that. Now, in this um, final minute, can you talk a little bit about the rape kit backlog in this minute? Yeah, we're looking at hundreds of thousands, potentially, of rape kits that have yet to be submitted for DNA testing. So, in other words... We have hundreds of thousands of people whose bodies were crime scenes who are waiting to have their kits tested. We have the potential to put severely bad people behind bars. We know that rapists, I'll tell you right now, the man that raped me, 
he raped me, but he committed crimes in eight different states, and he committed so many different types of violent crimes. He was a public safety hazard. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of thousands of rape kits, not tested, should be something that everybody is worried about because it threatens our very safety because these are not good people. Thank you for that, Natasha, because that's so important to get that word out there. And it is a threat to everybody in society. So to test these rape kits is so important. In the backlog.org. That's E-N-D, end the backlog.org. Natasha's Justice Project.org and JoyfulHeartFoundation.org. So Natasha, thank you for being here today. I also have a second guest I want to introduce. So thank you so much for your time and for being who you are and giving of yourself. And right back at you, and really great thanks for the listeners if they've stayed with us to this point. You rock. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, listeners. Um, Thanks, Natasha. Take care. You too. Thank you. See you soon. And now everybody else on the line and listening to me all over the world, I'd love to introduce to you my other guest, which is Rajiv Udamanshan. Let me get this right. Utam Chandani, Utam Chandani, he is an astrophysicist, a professor, a social entrepreneur, a human rights and women's rights activist, and Rajiv is also the founder and chairman of the International STEM Society, S-T-E-M Society for Human Rights, a nonprofit organization dedicated to applying modern science and technology to address primarily women's rights and children's rights issues around the world. Rajiv further serves as executive director of the International HER, Humanity Education and Rights Conferences, the Executive Director of the HER Clubs, and the founder of HER Apparel, which is a soon-to-be-released clothing line, which promotes gender equality and supports organizations which combat human trafficking. Welcome, Rajiv. Hi, Danielle. Thank you for having me on. Will you say your last name for me again? Say your full name so I don't get it yes. wrong and butcher it. No problem. Rajiv Utamchandani. 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 I had it yesterday, but then I lost it today. So, right. so thank you for being good. here. Rajiv, the work you do is so tremendous to me, and it's amazing. And I like to, I like to have you on simply for the fact that you're a man, first of all. We know that sex crimes happen to men and women, and I have a lot of women that come to me in my practice that start hating men and start feeling like they're the problem, and that is not the truth. And um, some of them are the problem, but there are some men that are very active in supporting women, and you're one of them. So I'd love you to tell me a little bit. You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about how you got involved with your causes. Yeah, so of course, um, as you said, my background is in, as, is, is in astrophysics. I'm a scientist myself, and really what caused me to get into these issues involving women's rights, especially children's rights, is the realization as I've traveled all over the world, and um, I'm Indian by nationality, but I was born in the Philippines, raised in Hong Kong. Now I live in the United States, so I've been exposed to different people all over the world from different cultures. And if there's one thing I learned, it's the fact that the most precious thing in this creation as a human being. There's nothing more precious than that. We can have homes that, if they're destroyed, can be rebuilt. If Mm -hmm. uh, cars are destroyed, we can purchase new cars. Anything that we have built as human beings can be rebuilt and repurchased. But once a human life is destroyed, once a human life is lost, then they're lost forever. Mm -hmm. So you realize the fact that these things happen all over the world. Um, The singular event that really caused me to change my perspective about all this is what happened in December 2012 in Delhi in India. And this mm-hmm. is the, the, bus, the Delhi bus rape incident involving, now we call her Nirbhaya Jyoti, 
which basically means that uh, like a power and, and like lightning, a force that will never die out. And of course, what happened was she was uh, brutally assaulted and raped by over six men for over a few hours in a bus in Delhi. And the severity of the assault was so much that it really shocked the nation. It shocked the world. She died uh, later from her injuries. And mm -hmm. th when I realized that these things were happening, I dug into these issues more and realized that this is but one such case of so many that happen on a daily basis. And exactly. if you take a look at the if you take a look at the statistics, you realize that there are over 20 to 30 million slaves in the world today. 20 to 30 million. That's a tremendous amount of people that are living under such uh, deplorable circumstances that are being forced to do labor or sex. And you realize that the numbers just, they don't lie. They're absolutely shocking. You have um, the modern sex trafficking or the modern human trafficking industry. It's a $150 mm -hmm. billion dollar industry. That's Disgusting. Exactly. And if you put human trafficking as a, a company and you look at the statistics of all these, you know, um, Fortune 500 companies, human trafficking will be up there in the, in the top 100 or 150 companies, if you will, in terms of uh, overall revenue. And this is That is a revenue. horrifying, horrifying look at it. And when we were talking about this the other day, Rajiv, you were mentioning yeah. this is Los Angeles, San Diego. I mean, I always go, my mind goes to, and a lot of people's minds go to, Democratic Republic of Congo or exactly. India or this or that, where it's been used as a weapon of war, rape as a weapon of war, sex trafficked right. women there and men there, and children as young as five and as young as seven. I mean, it's disgusting and it's terrible, but right. it's also right, right here in our own back backyard. And so when people view it as something that's over there, no, what was over there is over here. So I think it's yes, just a worldwide exactly. problem for humanity to address. Right. And I love that right, you are doing right. so. Thank you. No. And, you know, also in the United States, it's actually human trafficking is uh, growing fastest in the United States compared to any other country in the world. Uh, very few people are actually aware of that fact. And California is the highest state where you have the numbers of sex trafficking victims, with Los Angeles, San Francisco, and San Diego actually being the top three in the FBI's list all over the United States for the number of sex trafficking victims. So wow. it's really happening right in our own backyards. And we think, you know, of course, the United States is a great country, and that's why I'm here. But these problems do occur. And the fact that globally the average age of sex trafficking victims, especially with girls now, is around the age of 11 or 12 years old, that's just uh, horrific. So that is horrific. We realize, yeah, and we realize that, and I've traveled all over, and I, I now work with human trafficking victims. I now work with organizations that deal with human trafficking. And re really what, what I try to do with my organization is trying to apply our knowledge of modern science and technology to address these issues. We have built telescopes that can, you know, peer into the depths of the universe. Mm -hmm. We have built satellite systems that enable us with instant communication, weather prediction systems, and all of these things. So why not use that technology, that knowledge that we have, into solving these very basal and very unfortunate problems in society? So now we have a huge amount of um, smartphone penetration all over the world. So many more people are, are purchasing smartphones than ever before. We have internet connections in various nations that are getting better and better. Right, so everywhere. So we as an organization, yes, so we as an organization are using that technology to try to deliver these tools to protect women and children from human trafficking, to give tools to institutions that deal with trafficking so they can actually gather data, understand data, understand trafficking patterns, so they understand better 
where these things are going on. Because as, as you would have spoken of earlier with, with Natasha, that, you know, uh, rape cases and everything are grossly underreported, grossly mm-hmm. underdealt with, and we definitely need much more data there. So one of the things we did was we launched an app called Protect Her in, in India just now when I was there, mm-hmm. um, where basically if you press the power button in your phone rapidly three times, if you shake your phone, um, and soon if you actually shout the word help, your phone will be able to detect your voice, upload live audio video recording to cloud servers that are automatically synced to local law enforcement agencies, um, and then shows your uh, GPS coordinates and actually dials um, a certain hotline, whether it be 911 or any other local hotline that is relevant, uh, within basically a a single touch of a button, the shout of your voice, or just shaking your phone. So this is a a very powerful tool that we've conducted the pilot launch in India. We're going to be launching it soon in the Philippines, and I'm actually trying to work with the Burbank uh, Police District here to try to launch uh, the app here in in Burbank, and then hopefully to Los Angeles soon as well. So that's the first app that we have. It's yes. sorely needed. We absolutely need that here. And um, I know the Sex Crimes Division it will love this because it's so helpful to identify exactly when, where, and who when something is, exactly. is, exactly. is happening in the moment. Now, what would, right. you, what would you advise that listeners can do if they see something, they should say something, but what are signs that there's a sex-trafficked individual around you? What should you do? How do you reach out to your organization or others? What should they do? Like, can you give us a little bit of a modern current situation and what, what a person would do to react? Yes. So, you know, there's uh, various um, anonymous hotlines you can actually uh, dial into to report cases of human trafficking. So one of them is an organization called Polaris, and they, they operate a hotline. So you can search the number online with, with Polaris, the Polaris Project, okay. and they operate a hotline where you can report um, instances of human trafficking, whether you suspect it or not, um, anonymously. So you're not held liable for the fact that you're actually reporting this information. And what um, would make you in regards to, Like, what would make people... Yeah, exactly. What would make them see yeah, and what would make to, them think that, that that's what they're seeing? Right. So there's many different signs that you can observe for human trafficking victims. I think... One of the most obvious signs is, of course, if you do see a young girl, um, let's say 15, 16, even, even younger, outside in the streets kind of standing by herself or with a much older man, that's almost guaranteed that she's a victim of human trafficking or forced mm-hmm. prostitution. So that's one telltale sign. If you're driving around and if you see this discrepancy, a young girl with a much older man, um, and they, for, for one thing, they don't seem related at all, then that's, that's one thing that, that should immediately be reported, even if it's just... By chance, their father-daughter, by chance, there's something else. At least you have um, reported something that you suspect, and then it's up to the authorities to do something about that information. So that's one thing. Um, you can actually observe a lot of these girls, unfortunately, are, and it's a horrific thing, but they're branded. So mm. you see a lot of the girls who are, um, uh, they have tattoos all over their bodies. Mm-hmm. They have tattoos specifically of names. Um, uh, tattoos across their chest, their neck, or even sometimes their forehead. Mm-hmm. So these are, you know, you can have tattoos. A lot of people have tattoos, but the, the way these tattoos appear are very odd in the way that you know that they're not there for a artistic purpose. No. They're there for a labeling or a branding purpose. Oh, um, terrible. Exactly. So these, these two, I would say, are the, the main signs that you can observe. And, and I myself observed this once when I went into 7-Eleven and I saw... Um, what probably looked like, she, she looked like she was maybe 18 or 19. Sometimes you're, you're not even sure uh, these days um, with, with an older man. And she was tattooed all over. And she was wearing, of course, rather revealing clothes. Mm. So 
it becomes a very difficult uh, situation for you to interfere directly. So what I did was I immediately called the cops and I said, this is what I've observed. Um, it's in 7-Eleven right now. Please, please come over and, and deal with this. Okay. So uh, when you're in a, a city like Los Angeles, fortunately, the police officers here and law enforcement, they're quite uh, forward when it comes to dealing with these issues. So it's not like other states where they, um, you know, these victims are, are arrested um, children are, are placed into jail because they're uh, labeled as prostitutes. Here in L.A., they're actually very progressive where they mm-hmm. label these um, children as being victims, as they should be. Um, right. I would go on to state, even as a man, that no woman would ever forcibly sell her body and, until and unless she had any other option left. So right. that's sort of the problem that, that we deal with and that most people don't understand is that nobody does this by choice. They're either forced to do it, either they have no other alternatives to even survive, or anything mm-hmm. like that. Especially underage, you know, it's just they yes. have no choice and their brain's not fully formed and they're being victimized. Exactly. And I, exactly. I just like to always stress to people as well, if you see something, say something, to, just like with anything else that's of concern. But we all have our spidey senses, I like to call them, that kind of tingle. If you feel yes. that, don't ignore it. Your gut is usually right. Your gut instinct is correct. Right. And um, right. so don't, if you're, if you're feeling it, don't think, oh, no, it's probably nothing. I'm just being ridiculous. Make the call. Yeah. Like, what's it going to do to not make the call? That child exactly. die, or that woman exactly. person and it's could always die. Better so, to be, it's always yeah. better to be safe than sorry at the end of the day. Absolutely. You know? um, and here you're dealing with the, the honor and the dignity and the safety of, again, mostly a young child, a young girl. And, you know, if it causes a little inconvenience and that's what's the big deal? We're, we're trying to save a life. Exactly. So, a little a, embarrassment, a little inconvenience. Yeah. I don't care at all. And nobody should exactly. be concerned about that when there's lives at stake here. And I am exactly. just so grateful to you and to your organizations and the things that you do. You. You'd written in a beautiful essay about the power of women and that all life comes from women and the respect yes. that you have. And I think it's really, um, I don't think it's an opinion that's in the minority of men. I just don't think it's verbalized very often. And I'm just right. so grateful right. to have run across you and been introduced to you. And well, like have you on the show. I think it's just really beneficial for everyone to hear your voice. Um, can you thank you very out? much, Danielle. Oh, thank you. Just thank you for being here and all <laughs> the work you do for human rights. If you could give out your uh, websites in the last couple minutes we have here and wait yeah, sure, to sure. and be educated about this, this matter would be wonderful. Definitely. So they, we have several websites, but just go into the main website of our organization, uh, which is www.isshr.org. So that ISSHR stands for International STEM Society for Human Rights. Again, that's www.isshr.org. My um, email address is Rajiv, R-A-J-I-V, at ISSHR.org. So if you have any questions, if you want to volunteer and help, we can always use more volunteers in our nonprofit or other nonprofits that we work with. Um, So please reach out to me over there. And of course, if I am somewhat active also on, on Twitter and Instagram. I try to be very active there at least. <laughs> and my handle is, uh, it's pretty simple because everything I do is about really more than even just explicit human rights. It's really um, women's rights and children's rights. So my, my handle is just her Rajiv. So H-E-R and then my first name R-A-J-I-V. So and at that's her Twitter, Rajiv. You can, yes, uh, Twitter and Instagram. You can find me there. And, and, you know, of course, I would love to be in touch with anyone who... Um, uh, reaches out to me in that regard. 
Fantastic. And thank you for giving out all that information. Thank you for being here. And anyone who wants to reach out, thank you, um, who wants to reach out to me at DanielleDelaneyCounseling.com. That's also It's Danny Delaney. That's I-T-S-D-A-N-I-D-E-L-A-N-E-Y on Twitter and um, and just Danny Delaney for Instagram. And of course, um, you can email me here at the real de- uh, that's uh, the real de- the real deal with Danielle at gmail.com. Sorry, it's a mouthful. Uh, anyway, thank you for being here with me today, Rajiv. Thank you for all of your Thank questions. you, Danielle. You're welcome and thank you for all that you do. And to my listeners, tune in this tu- this next Tuesday every Tuesday at two PM Pacific time. And until then, be well and do well. Take care. Thanks for joining us this week. Be sure to catch The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney live every Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait for you to see what's in store next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.